Good day and welcome to Steadfast Community Church Podcast. What you are about to listen to is a sermon from one of our Sunday morning services. We pray that this sermon would edify you and grow you in a deeper desire to love and serve Christ. We pray it would increase your love for God and His Word. And we also pray that through the teaching of His Word, that His grace and peace would be multiplied in you through the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ, all for the purpose of His glory and praise. If you have any questions about the sermon, or would like to know more about Steadfast Community Church, please visit our website at steadfastcommunity.org. That is steadfastcommunity.org. God bless and have a good day. Well, church, I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5 and uh, and direct your attention to um, the middle portion of that chapter, uh, really towards verse 21. As you know, we've uh, been carefully looking at this area of God's Word as we uh, seek to understand uh, what it means to be filled with the Spirit and how that impacts our daily life as believers, uh, as Christians, and it's going to impact every single area of your life. And it's not just um, your worship, but it's in regard to how the worship impacts your life relationally. Um, and so it's, it's my delight to, to really spend time, it has been my delight and is continuing to be my delight as we study so closely um, this passage. And uh, we are reminded as we look so closely to um, Ephesians, not just in chapter 5 but in all the other areas, uh, we're constantly reminded uh, who we are. We are called the ones who are uh, chosen and adopted as sons. We are the ones who have been purchased uh, by the blood of Christ as He gave Himself up for us. We are the ones in whom God has given His Spirit to dwell within us. We are the ones who's uh, been sealed by His very Spirit um, as a guarantee, right? And it is His Spirit that dwells in us, as we've learned already. It is the Spirit of God that strengthens or gives the power to the believer to walk the worthy walk. And that is really what we have been looking at since chapter 4 and what we will continue to look at through the end of this epistle is really how God's Spirit dwelling in the the redeemed powers them, strengthens them, gives them the ability to walk worthy according to His calling of their lives. And uh, lately, uh, it's the Spirit-filled question, right? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? I think we spent a lot of time on that to understand it but also um, how that impacts your life. Not just what does it mean, but how does it impact your life? How are you to conduct yourself according to being yielded and submitted to His Spirit? How does that uh, work its way out in life practically, right? So we've been looking at that. Now we're coming to the home. And the title of the sermon is The Spirit-Filled Home. It's it's going to be for the next several weeks to come, but it's The Spirit-Filled Home because as you are filled with the Spirit, yielded to the Spirit, this is the outcome of the home. Without truly yielded to the Spirit, or being yielded to the Spirit of God, this won't be the outcome. And you see that within marriages all the time in, in, in the church. There's conflict, there's fight, there's quarrels within the marriage. And that's because those who are in the home are not yielded or submitted to the Spirit. His Word, the, the teachings of it, and that's why there's fights and quarrels and hardship and disagreements. That's why we see so many professing believers get divorced. That's why we see so many professing believers who have broken homes. Because, verse 18, they're not yielded 
to the Spirit of God. So let's stand together and read our portion of Scripture. We're going to read a little bit more together today. We're going to look at verse 21, or actually we're going to start in verse 18, and we're going to read to the end of this chapter, as it's going to deal with the husband and wife, or the wife and husband. Starting in verse 18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. As Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives are to be subject to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her, so that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. That He might present to Himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. You may be seated. So this is going to to take us some time to work through as I I believe it will be very, very beneficial to each and every one of us as the majority of of those who uh, attend this church steadfast are are married couples. Young and and old uh, married couples are those who are about to approach marriage and, um, and then those who are now looking at their parents as they grow up to see their marriage as a godly representation of God's design of the home. Um, and so uh, that's important for us to understand. So when we look at this passage, it's no doubt in our world, in our culture, it is no doubt uh, in our minds and in our understanding that the home is under attack. The Christian home is under attack, and it always has been really, uh, but in our day we see it a little bit more clearly I believe that the home is under attack and it has been for like I said since the fall it's been under attack and it's an, an under attack in multiple different ways all kinds of different ways is the home especially the Christian home um, under attack under scrutiny under uh, division uh, you think of of marriage you think of uh, it's between one man and one woman um, I don't even have to say it you know how that is, how marriage is under attack uh, we are we are seeing that marriage no longer is is important or necessary for two people to uh, coincide and live together. We see that now marriage is being argued that it can be between two men or two women or any gender you decide that you want to list. Um, God's designed it to be between one man and one woman. Um, we see marriage very clearly under attack. We see the the role of wives in their in their uh, godly role as as hu- wives who are going to follow the leadership of the husband. Our world. When we, especially when we read verse 22, our world, the world loses their mind over that. 
passage. And, and it's very offensive. It's very uh, derogatory in the, the eyes and ears of, of our culture and our world. That is a, a, a really harsh uh, verse for our world to grasp. The role of the wife is under attack. The role of the husband is under attack. Uh, especially our children and the way we lead and, and teach and, and raise them. Um, we can just see that within the school system and, and with all kinds of ways of the church where parents uh, do not raise their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, our children are under attack where they can be told um, you don't have to uh, believe uh, your, your role as a child. You, don't have to, you can decide who you are, who you want to be. Um, and so on. I mean, the list goes on. We can spend weeks and months on the way that our culture and the world is attacking the home. And that's why I think it's so important for us to really understand God's design of the home. If you claim Christ and profess Christ, this is your first priority, honestly, is, is how you conduct yourself in the home. Because from the home is where everything else is seen and proceeds. If the home is not in order, um, it doesn't matter how much you do in ministry. It doesn't matter how much you do in the public. If your home is disarray, if your home is out of order, you've already failed, right? And so it's very important for us to understand. Even though it's an offensive passage, this passage is also offensive to some who profess Christ. And uh, it's not meant to be uh, offensive. It's actually meant to be uh, encouraging and building up and, and directing us to live according to God's Word. So because it's so offensive, I think we need to uh, take our time to understand uh, the words that are being uh, said here. Here's our portion of Scripture, verses 21 to 24 today. Um, we're going to spend our time on the role of the wife. Now, don't worry. Although it's going to be really focused on the wife's role, men, you're next, and uh, husbands, you're next, so we're going to have a lot more time on that as well. Um, but let's spend some time in verses 21 to 24. I'll read it one more time. And be subject, verse 21, to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Oftentimes this is abused um, in the sense where men or or husbands see this passage and they say, see, you must listen to everything I say. And they become domineering men who abuse their role. That's not what it's intended for. It's also taken out of context and said, look, um, this was cultural. Uh, wives no longer are expected to live their lives in subjection to their husband. And uh, both of those are false. Both of those are wrong. Both of those are abused. And both of those are unfaithful uh, to God's Word. So the wife has a very important role in the home. Um, it, it's a glorious position, a very respectable role. Um, this is no way uh, showing the wife to be inferior. No way is this showing the wife to be less than or second class. We'll just get that out in front. It doesn't say that. That's not what it's pointing out. It's pointing out that God's design has been laid out since the creation of the world and since He brought Adam and Eve together. It's, it's God's design, okay? And when you think of the home... The home is the, the one place where you will be, it will be very clear. You can, you can go to, to church, you can gather with saints, you can go to conferences, and you can uh, present yourself as, as holy 
and, and, and very religious, and you can have all of that out front in the public eye. But in the home, you can't hide that. In the home is where you will be seen to be cons- how you consistently live your life and how you honestly live your life and your faith and your Christian life. That will be evident. You can't hide that. You can't hide it from your spouse. You can't hide it from your children. As your children grow, they're going to see, hey, how do mom and dad live their life? How do they conduct themselves? How do they conduct themselves together? And how do they conduct themselves individually? How do they conduct themselves towards me, the child, right? And how do, they condu- how do, the, ch- how do the children conduct themselves to the parent? How do they conduct themselves relationally with others? Um, you can't hide that in the home. That is out in front, right? You can maybe put a mask over it out in public, but um, you fail in the home, you've already failed everywhere else, okay? This is God's standard, like I said, uh, for those who are the redeemed. And I say that intentionally. If you are not saved, if you are not the redeemed, you can't possibly live according to God's standard in the home. It's an impossibility because you're not redeemed. How do I know that? Well, remember chapters 1-3. through What was Paul doing? As he was laying out everything in the home, he was laying out the doctrine, he was laying out everything that pertained to those whom he chose. Those whom he called those whom He forgave, those whom He gave life to, those whom he, who were far off but He drew near, those who were without hope in the world but now have hope, right? Those who were without God but now have God. Uh, those who were not children, they were children of, of uh, sons of disobedience, they were children of wrath, but now have been brought to be sons, adopted sons of God, uh, beloved children of God. They are children who have been redeemed. So, we know that that is who Paul is talking to, right? He's not talking to those who reject Christ. He's talking to those who profess Christ and embrace Christ. Uh, and, and so if that is you, this is what you are responsible to obey and, and follow. Now I want to bring us to a point I think is very important. Chapter 4 we know uh, picked up in this practical outworking of the Christian life. But before chapter 4, look at chapter 3. At the end. Because remember, we're talking about the believer who is yielded to the Spirit of God. This is how they are able, even though they were redeemed, there is an importance of being strengthened by the power of the Spirit in the inner man. In, in chapter 3, verse 14, Paul goes and prays. In verse 16, he says, he, what he's praying for, first and foremost, is that God would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, right? Now, we think of that, the strength of His Spirit in the inner man is what works through the, the believer. Now look at verse 20. This is a doxology at the end that proceeds into exhortation, right? Verse 20 says, Now to Him, to God, who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Now listen, according to the power that works within us. Back at verse 16, Paul was praying for the strength of power in the inner man, in the spirit in the inner man, right? Now in verse 20, he's praising God for this very thing that he does far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. That would be his spirit. And then to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now you know and understand what Paul is saying by being filled with the Spirit. It's the power of the Spirit of God in the believer that gives them strength 
to fulfill and live out practically the worthy walk, right? That pertains to the home. It is the power of His Spirit that's going to enable the wife to be subject to her husband. It's the power of His Spirit that's going to enable the husband to love his wife as Christ loves the church and so on, right? Without His Spirit, without you truly yielding in in obedience to His Spirit through the Word of God as it directs us, the home won't be in order. The home will be disarray. The home will be in constant chaos or um, will become uh, stagnant in their uh, obedience to the Word of God and the effectiveness uh, of the Gospel. We are called to walk worthy according to the calling. Uh, Chapter 5 now, verse 21 to 24, or really throughout to the end of 6-9, is dealing with the home and the relationships that are impacted directly by God's Spirit in the redeemed, right? So let's observe the first area of marriage. This is where it begins. It doesn't go in a different order. If you're married and you have children, uh, you don't go and and fix this in the workplace and then bring it back into the marriage. It starts with the marriage and everything goes on from there, okay? Marriage, your husband and your wife... Those are the primary areas of your ministry. Men, your wife is your first priority in a ministry. Women, same to your husband. You two are together and are to be devoted to each other. Um, Because that's where everything else flows. If you're not devoted and faithful to one another, how can you possibly together raise your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Okay, First priority, that's what we're dealing with. Is marriage, okay? Now, it doesn't matter if you came to Christ uh, before your marriage or if you came to Christ after your marriage. If you are in Christ, this is where we follow and obey His commands, okay? And, and it's really to the benefit of you. It's the benefit to your home, to your marriage, to your life in Christ. Um, you're not adding Christ to your marriage. You're not adding Christ or adding religion to it. It has completely transformed your life and your marriage completely and totally transformed. You don't add him to and add religion to life. It has completely changed it. So if you came to Christ after you were already married, that means your marriage now is completely different than what it was before Christ. Okay? Make sense? That's what Paul is getting at here. Those who are redeemed, they they don't have a marriage or a home that looks like the home of the world. If your home and your marriage looks like that of those who reject Christ, you have a lot of questions to ask yourself. Okay? Very important. Completely transformed. And the first place I want us to look at, of course, in the home, is what Paul puts out for, uh, for us first. It's the wife. Where he says, wives be subject. He's coming from verse 21. Everything stemming from being filled with the Spirit. Verse 21 says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Um, there is a standard here that now he is, is convicting us. He's convicting us to walk faithfully uh, of the, in this worthy walk. The key being yielded to his spirit, obedient to the spirit of God. All seen through the inspired word of God, which is his spirit that carried men along to write it, which would include these verses here. These verses are inspired by God, right? Through his spirit as he carried along who? The Apostle Paul. To write these words down. And so as you, if you are going to be a faithful servant of God, this would be a portion of Scripture that wives, you are to yield to. Same for men. Husbands, you are to yield to this area 
of Scripture. This isn't something we get to come to and say, well, this isn't the same anymore, no longer pertains. When we, we're going to look in a moment throughout a bunch of areas of Scripture where we're going to see that God's Word has been consistent from the beginning to the end about marriage. Very consistent, okay? We've learned the difference of a believer who's Spirit-filled. We've learned of the directive to be Spirit-filled. We learned of the certain determinations of somebody who is living filled with the Spirit or submitted to the Spirit first. It was speaking edifying words to one another. But then you sing and make melody with your heart to the Lord. And then you say thanks always and for all things. And now we're picking up in verse 21. The reason why we left this is because it launches everything else. Subject yourselves in the fear of Christ. Subject yourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. Verse 21 is important for us to understand. What does it mean to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ? It's important you need to ask that question yourself. What does it mean? Because this is a very practical thing for us to understand. You are to be subject to one another. And then he goes on to say, wives, be subject to your own husbands. The fear of Christ, that word fear, I've told you before, is in reference to honor and reverence. So when he says to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, he's saying as you subject yourselves to one another in the fear of Christ, it is reverent and honorable as you subject yourselves to one another. Now when you get in arguments in a marriage, which, okay, maybe it doesn't happen for you, but if you get in arguments in your marriage and you argue and say things uh, towards each other or degrade each other or put each other down, is that reverent and honorable? And the standard here that he's giving is in the fear of Christ. If you are a Spirit-filled believer who is yielded to His Spirit and you're striving to live your life and reverent, honorable worship to Christ. He's giving that example here that in your lives and relationships, you are to be reverent and honorable in how you treat other people and how you treat others. And the first way you show that practically is in your marriage. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, right? That's the stage that is set for the weeks to come. The fear of Christ, reverent, honor, uh, it's the respect, um, and when it's in the fear of Christ is, is what we are told to see. That goes all the way to 6-9. Like I said, it shows that reverence, and we're going to take a moment in a, in a little bit to see it, but it shows the, the reverence uh, of, that wives show to husbands, it shows the reverence that husbands show to wives, and it shows the reverence that children show to parents, parents to children, slaves to masters, masters to slaves. It, it is a consistent pattern throughout this. Let's answer that question. What does it mean to be subject to one another? Turn to Philippians chapter 2, just to the right of Ephesians. What does it mean to be subject uh, to one another? This is a very practical passage uh, in Philippians chapter 2, where we can say, okay, well, that's what it means, right? If you're going to subject yourselves to one another, well, here's your answer. Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 2. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Okay, so the joy being made complete, the same mind, you're on the same page, right? Maintaining the same love, unity. It's showing unity, right? Not division. But then he says, do nothing from selfish ambition. Uh, do nothing from selfishness, rather, or empty, confi- empty conceit, but with humility of mind, 
regard one another as more important than yourselves. Okay. In your marriage, husbands and wives, parents to children, slaves to master or co-worker to employer, employer to employee, as you seek to subject yourselves to one another, it is the idea that you would be humble in your relationship and in your interactions with everyone. You would not see self, you would be selfless. You would be sacrificial, you would forsake selfishness and conceit. Uh, You would regard others as more important than yourselves. If you are not forsaking those things, if you're not, if you are living a selfish life, if you're not humbling yourself as in, in relationships, you can't possibly regard others as more important than yourselves. This is in marriage. This is wives to husband. This is husbands to wives. You cannot possibly regard the other as more important than yourself if you're not humbling yourself. If you're not, if you're not being selfless or sacrificial. If you're, if you're living in uh, conceit, if you're living uh, in, in selfishness or pride within your marriage, there's no possible way you can regard the other in your marriage as more important than yourself. That's an impossibility because you are looking at yourself as more important. So in your marriage, as you subject yourselves, wives to your husbands, you regard your husband as more important than yourself. Because men, your role as husband is to do that very thing to your wife. And Christ is the example for you. So you are to subject yourselves in the sense of you think of more important, you regard the other as more important. And remember back in Ephesians chapter 4, what is the first characteristic trait of the worthy walk? Humility. Then it leads to gentleness and patience and tolerant love, which produces in, uh, unity in the marriage. Humility is that important. Uh, humility is what is expected of the believer. Pride is the very thing in the very beginning of, of Genesis chapter 3 that led to the fall. Within marriage, there will be a constant fall after another in your marriage if pride is what is directing your marriage, if selfishness is what is directing your marriage and your relationship to your spouse. So you begin humbly uh, thinking of your spouse as more important than self. Uh, you, you do not pursue selfishness, you pursue, you pursue selflessness. Uh, you, you love and desire uh, their best interest first. That is how you are to practically live in your marriage. And yes, it's a lot easier said than done, um, but you know it. And you know the, the, the teachings of Scripture, and that is to be practiced daily in your life. It is, it is not something that is to, to weigh hard on us. It is something that we should seek in honor of the Lord, uh, to praise and glorify Him in the work that He's done. Um, a humble, selfless spirit, um, it is very much part of the worthy walk. It's how you are to live, live your, your marriage and, and your relationships. And as you do this, as you, it says in the fear of Christ and reverence of Christ, as you practice this and, and practically live this out in your marriage, it is to the praise and glory uh, and honor of the name of Christ. If you, if you genuinely live your, in your marriage uh, as God has called it, it praises God. Remember, we're dealing with worship here. If you genuinely live your life, wives, as subject to your husbands as to the Lord... This is worship to God in your own marriage. Did you know that? As wives live their lives as God has called them to live, that's worship to God in your daily marriage throughout. 
No matter if you've been married for uh, a year or a day or, or 50 years or more. Uh, I see my, my grandparents, they've been married for more than 60 years. They genuinely love each other. Yes, they bicker. We see it, especially in their older age, they bicker. But they love each other dearly, and they respect each other. Um, and that's just one area that we see uh, in, in lives of, of people who truly love each other, respect each other. They think of each other's best interests. It's interesting with my grandparents. I wasn't thinking about saying this, but my grandpa has Parkinson's. He's really old, and he's, he's frail in his physical ability to do things. So my grandmother helps him in his physical needs. But my grandmother has dementia, and so she forgets things all the time. So my grandpa, he's got a good mind. He helps her in her failures of her mental disabilities and things like that. And you see how they care for each other's needs. They regard each other as more important. And that's just one example. But we have that all throughout as, as you desire to live your life faithful, faithfully in your marriage. It's, it's worship. Um, if you think of the wife's role. Now, men, you're not, uh, not going to escape this. We're going to talk about it next week. But wives, if you think of a wife who claims Christ, a genuine believer, if they have a, a serious issue with submitting themselves to their husband, they have a serious worship issue. Um, that's very clear. If you have a problem with subjection to your husband and, and following his leadership, there is also a problem with your worship to Christ, your worship to God. Okay. Now, look at verse 21 and 22. I'm going to show you one little detail. Uh, because if you notice verse 22... The words be subject, wives be subject, yours is either is most likely in italics, the word be subject. Well, that's because in the original text, um, in the manuscripts, be subject is not there. Okay? How do we know that this is in reference to subjection? Well, because of verse 21, where he says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, wives to your own husbands. As it follows and flows, it's very clear that subjection is what he's talking about in the roles he lists here. It's wives to your own husbands, then husbands to your own wives, children to parents, parents to children, slaves to master, master to slaves. It's dealing with subjection in all those areas. And that's what proceeds from verse 21. That's why we left it for today. Subjection to her own husband. Now, that is also important because notice he doesn't say to all men or all husbands. He says to your own. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, which is communicating uh, a sense of ownership of that husband, where he is yours and you are his. Um, you don't submit to all men or all men who are married. Uh, you submit to your husband. You submit, submit to the one that is your own husband. That is, he is yours, and he is yours to be in subjection to. Not all, right? Right? Very important detail. As our world looks at it and thinks women are inferior to men, that's not so. Um, and we're going to look at that in Galatians in a moment. But it recognizes the headship. It recognizes God's design in marriage, God's design in the home. Uh, it recognizes the husband as, as the one who is responsible to lead and direct the home and care for the home. Um, it, re it recognizes that there is to be a godly man to lead the home. Um, and he's to lead through, his, through the Word of God. Um, and that displays a self-sacrificing uh, life of the wife, uh, making sure that she is, is following God's design, okay? And I know there's probably a lot of questions, well, what if he's not a believer? What if he's not faithful? What if he's, uh, don't worry, we'll get to that. That is uh, very clear here. The subjection part is what he's guiding us through. Subject ourselves to one another. Um, now, although our culture wants to take this and twist it, 
They want to take this word of subjection or submission and say, wow, this is horrible uh, because it demeans women or it makes them less than. That's why we have, you know, back in the 70s, they had the uh, feminist movement and they have this now movement of, of equality in all these other areas um, where they're trying to say, look, women can do the same role and fulfill the same role as men. Men can also do the same role and fulfill the same role as women, which that doesn't make any sense because there's a lot of things that men can't do that women can, like have kids, right? Um, but this is all what our culture is trying to uh, show because they have a major problem. The world has a major problem with submission. And first, their problem of submission is to God, right? They reject God. They, they rebel against God. And so they're trying to take that onto the home and, and, and pose that onto the role of the home where uh, authority is. But let's look at some areas of, of subjection or submission uh, because the home is not the only area that we have that in the Scriptures, uh, the first one I want to point out is that we are told to be in subjection or submission to the governing authorities in our lives. That would be the government, those that God puts in place. Now, of course, we obey God rather than men. Same thing in the home. If your husband's leading you into sin, you obey God rather than men. But we have commands in Romans chapter 13. We have commands in 1 Peter chapter 2 that describe us to be uh, in subjection to the governing authorities, those who have been placed over us. That would be like those in our governing authorities in Slidell, the laws that are in place, you know, those things. Um, we are to be in subjection to them. We also have it within the church, in the context of the church. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. All right, so we are to be in subjection to those who are leaders in the church. Any elder in the church, we are to be in subjection to them. Uh, but also back in Hebrews uh, chapter 7, listen to uh, I mean, chapter 13 still, but it's in verse 7. Um, I believe, where it says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct and imitate their faith. As you have faithful men who are leading you, as long as those men are not leading you into sin, you are to respect them, but also imitate their faith, as they should be uh, godly examples of, of, of what they are to do. Same for the men to the wife. Godly example to the wife, right? Um, what is the responsibility of the preachers and teachers? Those who teach and preach, Titus chapter 2, verse 15 says, These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So as the men lead the church, they are to speak and teach and preach all those things with all authority, and that authority comes from the Word of God. As they are faithful to submit to God's Word, they are to teach it to God's people, and God's people are to submit to the teaching that has been given with all authority according to the Word of God. All of us would be submitting to God's Word, right? That would be the preachers and teachers. That would be the congregants as well. Submitting to God's Word. Um, now turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Just for a brief moment. We won't stay there long. This is the substance, by the way. The substance of, of really subjection and submission. As we, we see what, is, what does it pertain? What is it filled with? What does it, what does it mean uh, to see the substance of, of submission and subjection. Well, in First Peter chapter five, verse three, it says, "Therefore I exhort the elders." We're still thinking of the elders and the leaders of the church, right? Therefore I exhort the elders among you, uh, chapter five, by the way, as your fellow elders and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. He says, "Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness." nor yet lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples of the flock. I want to point this out. 
We were talking about humility, selflessness, sacrificial type of life. That is what we're to regard others as more important than self um, within marriage and all these other roles. As the pastors are, are seeking to faithfully speak with all authority and truth towards the congregation as they are leading. And then the, uh, the congregants, on the other hand, are to submit to their leaders as those who will give an account for your souls. You see the mutual uh, regard for the other. As the congregant or those who are a part of the church are submitting to their leaders, they are thinking of their leaders as more important. And the leaders, as they teach and preach faithfully, are regarding those in the church as more important as well. It goes both ways. They're still in subjection to one another, and they're putting each other's best interest first in all those areas, okay? And that is what you are to do in your marriage. You can turn back to Ephesians uh, chapter 5. There's plenty of Scripture that will explain that. Um, but as we see the substance, that is, that is the beginning of really the substance that is within subjection um, of, of what it means to be in subjection to one another, and that starts with the wife. You don't have to understand Greek to see the, the plain reading of this text. It's very clear. Uh, you don't have to understand the, the Greek words to say, okay, this is what he's talking about of, of the wives being uh, subject to your own husbands as to the Lord... Um, and then he goes on for the husband is the head of the wife. This is very, very clear. You don't have to know any kind of ancient language uh, to know what he's meaning by this. Okay. Notice a couple more details as we, uh, we see this. He doesn't tell the wife uh, here to obey um, in the sense of just blind obedience. Who does he tell to obey? He tells the children to obey in chapter 6, verse 1. And then he tells the slaves to obey in chapter 6, verse 5. But for the wife, he says to be subject to their own husbands. It's a very, much, it, very much it's more intimate in the sense of subjection uh, relationally as it's a willing submission out of God's design but out of love and respect for your spouse um, where you're in subjection to them. This isn't showing or communicating inferiority. Uh, or second-class status for the wife. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says, with, with Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So it's not about inferiority. In Christ, you're all on the same playing field, right? Because you've all been saved by grace. You were all sinners, and you were all saved by grace through faith. The same playing field. Men weren't fa- saved and, and favored in a different way than women were. Uh, is talking about the design and the order and the structure that God has laid out from the very beginning of creation when He said, it's not good for man to be alone, and so He'll make a helper for him. And He gave him His wife, and it was good for them to be, be together, where the husband would leave his father and mother and be joined together with his wife as one body, one flesh, right? Uh, it is all according to God's design. He's been laying out from the beginning of creation. But we fail in this all the time. Why? Why do we fail? Why do we fail in, in these these commands because of the fall we're all in a constant uh, battle against sin where we we rebel we resist we become selfish and we become uh bitter to one another we want to be the one that has the final say right we'll turn to genesis genesis chapter three uh, we won't uh, look at, at all of the areas of this but in genesis chapter three um verse 16 After the fall has occurred, God then begins to explain what the consequences of their sin and their rebellion will be. 
and where we resist uh, God's design. Well, he says to the woman, as the consequence, uh, really the, the uh, consequence of sin, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Now you can ask anyone who is a Christian or any woman who has given birth to a child, whether they profess Christ or not, was childbirth painful? Men, we don't know this, but women will say, yes, absolutely. I mean, my wife has given birth to two children, even though she had an epidural, in that she told me that it was a lot of pain. I mean, that's why we were rushing to the hospital. <laughs> she was in a lot of pain. But this is still true today. There is still pain in childbirth, uh, as God has made that clear. Men, uh, now women also, he says, at the second portion of that verse, towards the end, he says, yet your desire, this is speaking to the women, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And so what is he talking about there? The very next chapter, if you turn to chapter 4 now. Because some want to paint this as, okay, her desire is for the passionate love that she has for her husband. Uh, that's not what that means there. Um, and the reason I, I say that is because what's the context of Genesis chapter 3 really on for several chapters? He's dealing with the consequence of their sin. Uh, the, the, the things that follow, right? What's the con- he immediately just said, here's your first consequence. You will have pain and childbearing. And then he said, here's another one. Your desire will be for your husband. So it's not a positive. That's a negative. And we know that from the following chapter. Chapter 4, verse 7, if you know anything about Cain and Abel, the children... The first thing that he starts to discuss in chapter 4 is that she gives birth, as he said he would. And she had birth, uh, gave birth to two uh, men, well, Cain and Abel, right? Brothers. Um, they, they go to the Lord and give sacrifice. Uh, Abel is the one who was the, he watched the flocks. Uh, Cain tilled the land and the fruits and all the other things. And they go to give a sacrifice to the Lord. Cain gives the best that he could possibly, I mean, Abel gives the best that he possibly could. And then it's Cain's offering that wasn't regarded uh, to the Lord. But notice verse 7. Of chapter 4. It's the same phrase as he says to the wife, your desire will be for. Well, here in verse 7 of chapter 4, he says, if you do well, talking to Cain, as he's angry, his countenance has fell. He says, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? Then he says, if you do well, and if you do well, sin um, is crouching at the door. Now listen, and its desire is for you but you must master it. Eve was said that part of the consequence of sin, childbearing would be painful. Also, her desire would be for her husband. Here, sin crouching at the door. Desire is for you. You must master it. Right. The context of, of chapter 3 and 4 is dealing with sin and what comes from it. Um, so the desire here for the woman or the wife to the husband is not dealing with a passionate love and respect for her husband. It's dealing with her wanting his role. Her wanting headship. Her wanting control. Her wanting leadership. Her wanting to be the final say. Um, that, is, that is what is occurring here. Um, but he says, no, you, you must. It's crouching at the door. Sin is always crouching at the door for you. And I want to tell you, sin is crouching at the door in your marriage. It is crouching at the door in your marriage and its desire is for you to destroy your marriage. That is what is there. 
It wants to harm your marriage. It wants to distort God's design in your marriage. But you must master it. You must fight it. You must uh, resist it. Um, And those who are living faithful in their lives according to God's Word will submit to its teachings and its truths and will fight the temptation um, that has been from the beginning of the fall. Where the wife is for the husband. The husband is to lead her as his bride. The wife wants the role of the husband, but she must master that sin. Fight it. Um, Your life is to be a holy sacrifice from Romans chapter 12, verse 1, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. That includes the role of the wife in subjection to her husband. Now notice in verse 22 of Ephesians, you can, sorry, you can turn back there if you haven't already. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, he says, as to the Lord. Okay? There's a parallel passage in Colossians. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. If you, go, if you want to see a really, really cool parallel, uh, go to Ephesians chapter uh, 5, uh, verse 22, and then Colossians chapter 3, verse uh, really 18 on. But Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, it's a parallel to that um, where he says, um, wives, be subject to your husbands, and then he says, as is fitting in the Lord. Well, he just told us, wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord, so we know that it's fitting in the Lord, it's, it's as to the Lord, so we know this is, what, fitting according to His design, what He has already laid out in Scripture, um, that we are to uh, follow, it's acceptable, it is right, it is fitting in the eyes of the Lord as He has commanded this uh, to be lived out faithfully. It's by His design. Now turn to First Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter 2. Uh, just a little bit further to the right of Ephesians. We see how uh, this really the answer to your why. It's not less than, no, not at all. It doesn't mean that the husband is smarter than the wife. In many aspects, I would say my wife is far smarter than I am. Um, so it has nothing to do with brains. It has nothing to do with uh, status in the sense of importance. Um, it has all to do with God's design. First Timothy chapter 2, look at verses 11, and then we'll read a few more. Verse 11 says, A woman must, be quiet, uh, quiet, must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Now, we're not going to get into all the other areas of teaching today. Um, there are areas in the church that women teach. They teach children. They teach other women. Um, those are very clear. We see that in Titus, uh, the Titus 2 woman. But um, here he's dealing with subjection and submission once again. It's not saying that she's less than. It's not saying that she's not important. It is still directing uh, us to understand God's design in his order. Now, verse 13 says, For it was Adam who was created what first. right? He was created first. Verse 13. It was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but it was the woman uh, being deceived fell into transgression. Okay, so those two verses, he's saying, look, here's the reason why. Because it's God's order. He's designed it that way. You don't get a say in that. You don't get to debate God, right? You don't get to say, well, God, I don't know if that's fair. God, I don't know if my husband's capable of, of teaching and leading me. God, I don't know he's not doing a great job at this. He's not really faithfully leading us. Uh, we're going to get to a passage that directs that uh, right on, head on. But he's saying, no, this is, Adam was created first. God created Adam first. Then he created Eve. And he created Eve for Adam. That's why. It's his order. He's designed it that way. And so we are to obey and submit and follow God's 
teaching, right? Notice this too in the fall where Eve is the one who was deceived, right? Where it says, it says she was, and then it says, verse 14, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Now, when you understand the headship of the home, understand it through this. Why uh, Eve was deceived. She fell into transgression. Who is held responsible for that before God? Not Eve. Adam. Romans chapter 5, verse 19 says, Through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Adam is directly held responsible for his failure to lead his wife. To care for her and protect her. To guide her. He is held responsible because he is the head of the home. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but that's not something I would be quick to say, no, I want that. That is the role that God has designed from the very beginning. Husbands are responsible to care for, to love, to provide, to protect, to lead their wives and their household. And when they fail to do so, it's a failure on their part to fulfill their role as a man. So wives, as you are in subjection, it's understanding that role from the beginning of, of creation that God designed it that way. He designed it to be this way. Now that's all within the substance. The second thing would be the system. It's short and sweet, but it's the system. Really, how do we understand this? Well, he says, as to the Lord. Ephesians chapter 5, as to the Lord. Um, as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, right? So we understand it says, uh, verse 21, in the fear of Christ, that would be out of reverence and respect and honor uh, to Christ. You are to subject yourselves to your husbands in that manner. Honorable, respectful, reverent um, to your husband. Um, and, and so that's the design here as he comes on uh, from, chapter, from verse 21 to as to the Lord, right? As you are to uh, be in subjection to the Lord out of reverence and honor and respect and, and, and love, so too you are to be reverent and honorable and respectful in how you subject yourself to your husband. Now here's that question, what about my husband who's not a good leader? What about my husband who fails in so many areas? What about my husband who uh, maybe doesn't profess Christ yet? What about my husband who is very, very selfish? What about my husband who uh, constantly berates me or degrades me? What about my husband who is uh, negative or, or he's stagnant in how he leaves? All the questions you can list on a piece of paper. We'll turn to First Peter chapter 3. Very practical. If you want to see a practical passage of what it means to be a, a wife who is in subjection to her husband, go and memorize chapter 3. The very beginning. Verses 1 through uh, 6. And strive to make this consistent in your life. A background example of this would be um, as he's describing submission in First Peter chapter 2, he's describing submission to the institutions and the governing authorities and all these others, and he goes on to say, look, this is how you were to do things selflessly and in humility. Then he goes on and gives us a perfect example of that humility and submission, and he gives us that in the light of Christ and his sacrifice as he humbled himself and submitted to the subjection of, his, of the Father's will and, and bore the cross. Then he comes into chapter 3, verse 1. He says, in the same way, Okay, so he's like, okay, here's the example that he's given in 1 Peter chapter 2. He's describing, he gives us that example of Christ who suffered, right? He's the example that we follow in his steps of uh, 3.21, I mean 2.21, but then 3, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are 
disobedient to the word. Now there's your questions. He's not faithful. He's not fulfilling his role. Even if, right, if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. This is important. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Remember, subjection in the fear of Christ. Respectful behavior. Your adornment must not merely be external braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of the gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. This respectful subjection, even when the husband is unfaithful, is precious in the sight of God. He says it's precious. It's beautiful. It's like adorning jewels. That is more precious than any outward Appearance, this is in, within the heart. It is precious to God to see a, a, a wife who follows His order even when the man fails. Even when he is disobedient. Even when he is unloving. Even when he fails to lead the home. This is what the wife is to do. And what is it, what's the beauty of it? When she does live this out, it says that the husband may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. The wife, as she lives faithfully, uh, yielded to the Spirit of God, directed by the Spirit of God, lives faithfully in this manner. It's going to be a perfect example to her husband who's being disobedient. He's going to say, what is going on with this woman? She is continuing to be faithful in love, even in spite of my hate. She is being faithful to love and respect, even in my disrespect. She is being faithful to love and and care for our children and be faithful to to sit under God's word and follow it while I am not willing to do so. Well, that's how the wife faithfully subjects herself to her husband, even if he is failing in his job. It's hard. I'm not going to tell you that that's easy to do. Um, But that is still, nonetheless, how we are to, or how the wives are to conduct themselves. Um, It's a very, very honorable uh, way for the wife to, to live out her life before her husband. Turn to Titus now. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Um, it, it, we, I just want to show you how consistent Scripture is. Uh, he said that in Genesis chapter 3. Here's the role as the husband will rule over you. Uh, but your desire and the sin that you have is going to be to uh, overrule your husband and, and basically take that role. But Titus chapter 2, look at verse 3. He says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior. It still shows reverence in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, children, uh, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Now that's important. Look at the very end. He says, being subject to their own husbands. So that the word of God will not be dishonored. When you, as a wife, fail to be subject to your own husbands, it's dishonoring the word of God. Um, And that includes a husband that is still failing in his role. Now, if the husband is is striving to lead you into sin, again, Acts 5, 29, we obey God rather than men, right? But if he's failing just to fulfill his role and so you're bitter towards him, that is what dishonors the word of God. Notice he says all kinds of different things. That they are to be uh, respectable. They are to be uh, women who teach other women to do the same. And, and guess what? To love their children. A, a wife who is in subjection to her husband, loving her husband, respecting her husband in the leadership is the best gift you can give your child. As they see that example, that is the best gift. 
Salvation is a gift from God. Yes, you teach them the truth. But as you live your life as a respectful, uh, submittive wife to your husband, you are teaching your children. You are showing them an, an example of how you are to conduct yourself if one day they get married, especially if you have a daughter. Uh, men, you have a greater responsibility to perfectly, as though you will fail, to display that kind of love to your wife, your spouse, and how you raise your children. Okay? Um, but he, he's describing that here. Uh, we don't have time to go to Proverbs chapter 31, but if you read Proverbs chapter 31, uh, the excellent wife, who can find, right? Proverbs 31, he goes on to describe the role of the wife as she, uh, it, when it says to a worker of the home, don't, don't twist that and think, oh, well, the wife just can't work. Uh, the home work, I come home to my wife and I just see every single day, the work in the home is hard. <laughs> and I, I've had responsibility sometimes when my wife goes somewhere during the day to assume her role for a temporary time when she's going somewhere during the day. It's hard. It's a lot of work. Um, and I am not even near as, as competent in that work as my wife is. They're nurturers. They're to care for their children. They're to love their children. But think of the Proverbs 31 wife, the excellent wife. She was one who would go out and get the land and and and, and to prepare the food, and, and that means she would have to procure and grow the crops. She would have to prepare it. She would have to do That's a lot of work, right? But that, that is all a part and according to God's design within the home, and, uh, and it's, it's an honorable, honorable role, honorable role. Um, it is it's a beautiful picture of God's design within the home. Obey, obey the Lord, obey God rather than men, right? And so his word is to be honored, not dishonored. Uh, we want to be faithful to that. Um, now, as we think of our children, as they see this, because uh, we have a, a lot of children in this church, and we have a lot of married couples. Um, but the example that we have here is we are living our lives and our roles relationally is to be in respect or in reverence of fear, the fear of Christ, right? That's how you live your life and your roles. And uh, here's the example. I want you to see this example just before we move on to the next two. The fear of Christ is what guides this. Subjection to one another and the fear of Christ, that's reverent, honorable, uh, respectful type of, of subjection. Um, we see that all the way through. We saw that in verse 22 where the wife is to be in subjection. Here's the, the key of it, as to the Lord, right? But then we also have the husbands in the same light. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as what? Just as Christ also loved the church. So we see that again, as to the Lord and just as Christ loves the church. Now move on to the next step in the next stage. 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. you see the key there? In the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord. In the fear of Christ, as Christ loves the church. In the uh, Lord, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now look at the next one. 6.5, parents to children, right? 6.5, slaves or, or fathers do not provoke your children, uh, is verse 4, to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Verse 5, slaves be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to... Christ, right? Um, and then masters in the same way to do them and give up threatening no, uh, knowing that both the master and, their, and, and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Um, you are to, to see this whole area in light of the Lord. Um, it is all in respect to who he is and what he has done. Every single example in, this, in these relationships are an example of those who are yielded to the Spirit of God. It affects every single relationship as though you would treat Christ. You think of that. 
in, in your relationships. Think of that in your marriage. As you seek to be in subjection to your husband, know that you are to do so in how you would be in subjection to Christ. Husbands, as you love your wives, you are to do so in the way Christ would love his, his bride, his church. Parents, as you raise your children, would be in the same light as the way God raises and cares for his children. Children, children of parents, same thing as you would be in subjection to God. Uh, slaves, so on and so on. You see the, the key there. The third and, and fourth are very, very brief. The stimulus, what's the motive? Really, that's the, act, that's the action behind it. What is the motive behind it? The motivation, what's the stimulus that really gets us going? Verse 23 um, says, For the husband is the head of the wife. That's it. It's God's design. It's pretty straightforward there. The motivation of the stimulus is because that's how God designed it to be. And it says, here's your example. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. It's from the very beginning that God has designed it in this manner, and that should be what stimulates you and motivates you to submit to and obey it. Period. That's it. It's so consistent within Scripture. And those who are yielded to the Spirit will, will see that as a, a blessing and an honor to do so. And the final, fourth, is the, the supreme model. Look at the second portion of 23 to 24. As Christ also is the head of the church, He Himself being the Savior of the body, but as the church is, is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. It says Christ is the head of the church. If you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you should understand what he means by this. He is not just your Savior who has saved you from the consequence of sin. He is your Lord that you submit to. He is your, your Savior. He is your Lord and he is the one who cares for you and nurtures you and, and loves you, and he is the uh, one who has begun your faith and will perfect your faith. He is the Lord of the church. He is the provider, the protector, and the perfecter of his church. He is the one who does all of those things and more. So when we see verse 23, the second portion, he says, he says verse in the beginning, for the husband is the head of the wife. That's your stimulus. That's your motivator. That is what tells you, look, here's God's design. He is the head. He is the one that God has put in place of this role to lead the family. Even if he fails to do so, I still win him without a word by my, uh, my mannerism, my life, my respect in my uh, living out faithfully. And here's the perfect model, Christ. He is the supreme model. Far greater than any man will ever be able to portray it, but men, you are still responsible to strive for this. As Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body, but as the church is, uh, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. As Christ is the provider and the protector and the uh, perfecter within the church, you need to understand the husband is responsible to also fulfill that. He is not Christ, but he is a type of Christ to her. And as you live in your role and duty as a husband, you're responsible to care for her and nurture her, teach her, uh, sanctify her with the Word of God as Christ does for His bride, the church. We're going to get to that next week. But he says, that's the example. That is the supreme model. Our supreme model uh, for the wives to the husbands is how the church submits to Christ. That is the, the supreme model is, who's your Lord? Who's your Savior? Christ. Well, Christ has given men to the, the woman. 
to love her and nurture her and, and sanctify her by the washing of the water with the word. You're, the husband has a great responsibility, um, but the wife sees that role through the word of God and recognizes it and submits to its teaching, right? It's a hard thing to do, I know. Um, well, I don't know from the wife's perspective, but I do know uh, that it's not easy. It's a lot easier said than done. Very practical as we live this out, but think of it in this way. As, as believers, um, we often fail in our, our submission to Christ, right? When you sin and you rebel and you uh, pursue sinfulness uh, your fl- of your flesh, that is our rebellion against our Lord, where we're not faithful to be in submission to Him, where we fail that time and time again. Um, and so when we uh, sin and rebel against the Lord, that is, that is the first and foremost uh, of our fault and our failures to, to follow. But think of it in the role of the wife to the husband. As the husband is responsible to lead and disciple and sanctify his wife, when the wife um, is not in subjection to her husband, meaning uh, living faithfully to, to follow his leadership, one, you're not only disobeying and rebelling against your Lord, but you're also uh, doing the same to your husband. You are, you are trying to usurp his role. You're trying to abs- usurp his responsibility. And the sanctification process in the believer's life, when they rebel against Christ, it becomes stagnant. Right? There's no sanctification and in, in growing in the sense of when you're rebelling against Christ. So too, when you are in your marriage and you're rebelling or uh, not in subjection to your husband, there won't be a sanctifying process within your marriage either. Um, there is, that is, it's, it's to your benefit as you seek to grow and, and live faithfully uh, in your marriage. When you live as God has, has commanded us to live in our marriages, it will be to the betterment not just of you spiritually and individually, but to collectively as a home. It will strengthen your home. It will strengthen your marriage, and it will strengthen your home. Um, the world hates this, but this is God's design. It's very, very clear and very visible throughout the Scriptures, and marriage, not just marriage, but the home, is a beautiful picture of the Gospel. That's why God designed it that way. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. It displays the gospel more clearly uh, than anything else we can understand. As he shows how, how he has a, has a husband who is to the church, Christ. Right? The wife to the husband would be the church to Christ. Then you have the children who are given by the design of this marriage, this unity. And that would be a result of the children of God as they obey God and His Word and how the Father cares for and raises and disciplines his children, right? We see that all throughout Scripture, all throughout. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel, um, one that we should understand uh, very, very clearly. Um, so I, I'm, I'm excited to continue um, in the weeks to come. Uh, but wives, here's a very clear, very clear uh, command for your marriage is to be in subjection to your husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church he himself being the savior of the body but as the church is in subjection to Christ so also the wives ought to be uh, to their husbands in everything Um, a very very beautiful picture of the gospel starting right there but if if you are a husband or a man don't miss next week because it will be for you Okay, let's pray. Father, Lord, um, we love you and we thank you for your continued mercy, your continued grace, your continued patience um, with our failures time and time again, and not just in our individual walk um, with you, but also in our 
relationships as we fail them time and time again. Um, Father, we, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to, to strengthen this church uh, as they individually grow and uh, in, in, in are sanctified, but also, Lord, that you would strengthen the marriages of those in this church, that they would be a wonderful uh, reflection uh, of, of the gospel in their marriage. In Jesus' name, amen.